you for your word, and there's so much for us to glean from this passage so we know and are better equipped to deal with uh, the enemy of our soul. I pray we would learn from his tactics, uh, from Eve's failure, and that we would be women who honor you in obedience. In your name, amen. Well, Adam took some of the fruit and feeling great shame, as you saw today, covered himself with a big fig leaf. He felt shame and covered herself with a big fig leaf as well. And then she went behind a bush and tried on a maple leaf and a sycamore leaf and an oak leaf. That'd be kind of small. Anyways, that's my joke. So as believers in Christ, we are warned throughout the New Testament that we have an enemy who has schemes to defeat believers in their walk with the Lord. We're reminded in Ephesians 6 to stand firm, to resist the devil, and to put on the whole armor of God. Peter reminds us Satan is a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and we see that clearly here in our study today. One of the best ways to be prepared for his attacks is to understand the tactics that he used here in the Garden of Eden with Eve. We've all fallen for the exact same tactics that he used with Eve. This is why it's critical that we study this passage so we have a better understanding and are better prepared. This chapter also provides for us an accurate worldview. In our previous studies of the first chapters of Genesis, we saw the beauty of and perfection of all the earth that God created. But that perfect paradise, as we know, has long been lost. Evolution gives no explanation for the moral or spiritual problems among mankind. There is no moral accountability with evolution because everybody came by chance. So why are people so bent to do evil? And how did humans ever get a conscience anyway? And how can humans ignore their consciences so well? And how did our world become so depraved and utterly hopeless? Well, our study for today brings us back to the very first ancestor who purposely chose to defy God. And every person born since then has inherited that same sin nature passed on to us from Adam. So the hearts of all people are born dominated by sin. It corrupts our will, our emotions, and certainly our intellect and thinking. It's almost unbearable to watch the news because in the news is the evil intents of people's hearts are put on display. So we need to remember that before Adam and Eve sinned, there was Lucifer, a perfect angel created by God in a very high role and position. And at some point, Lucifer's heart was lifted up because of his beauty, and he determined that he will be like the most high God. And he thought he was just like God, and he led in that rebellion against God. And we've talked about it in the past of how convincing and deceitful Satan is to convince a third of the countless numbers of angels to follow him. I mean, they were in the presence of God, and they followed Satan. So it may be, too, that Satan resented God creating people in his own image, and once he was cast to earth, he became an enemy of God who would always attempt to thwart every purpose of God. The once bright angel known as the day star became the accuser and the adversary of God. So now Satan plans to take down the people that God had just created in his own image. And we have the fall of man. And it begins with verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? 
with this verse, everything in a perfect world is about to change. One of the animals God created initiates a conversation with Eve. And obviously, she wasn't very surprised by it. So, you know, I guess some of the animals talked. Whatever. One of the animals that God created uh, initiates this conversation. And this serpent certainly looked different than what we think of as a snake today. Uh, Remember, God saw all that he made that it was good. It was originally a beautiful creature that was upright. And as we see, had the ability to converse with people. Satan chose this particular animal to indwell and to use to speak through to Eve. We read that he was more crafty than cunning than all the animals God had made. And as we know, Satan is a creature that God knew well. After all of his shrewdness and deception and great success in taking down a third of the angels that God had created in his rebellion. And this evil and deceptive enemy of God has his sight sets on destroying the morality of the first man and the first woman. This great deceiver of the whole world is what he's called in Revelation 12, 9. He is, is himself deceived as he thinks he can exalt his own throne above the stars. And now he has moved on from his cunning strategy with his fellow angels that joined him. And now he's going to carry out his lies to the first woman. Clearly, his motive is to bring about the destruction of Adam and Eve. 2 Corinthians 11.3 tells us that Satan confronted Eve likely when she was away from Adam. And I know that commentaries uh, are divided on Adam was standing there watching this. Adam was, I don't know, tilling the ground. Uh, His attack seems to me, at least, to be on her alone. So his plan was to deceive her by his craftiness as she was unprotected by her husband. Satan chose to use this form of this beautiful, clever animal to begin a conversation with Eve to deceive her into sinning. Satan always comes to us with deception as well. His goal is to deceive us with wrong thinking, wrong thoughts. His target is always the mind because that's where the battle is. And correct thinking is what leads to correct living, while if Satan can confuse how we think, Uh, and blind how we think he has a foothold in our lives to bring us down so satan presented uh, god as restrictive and really unloving he implied that evil and untruthfulness were actually a part of the character of god we don't read anything about eve being surprised as i said that the creature was talking to her and she had never known fear she had never known danger And she was not suspicious of this creature engaging her in the conversation. Satan immediately cast suspicion on the goodness of God. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? He's insinuating that he certainly cares about his, this serpent cares about Eve's well-being more than God does. And then Eve responds to the question by saying, well, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. So Satan asks if God really said they can't eat from that tree. His goal here is to get her to doubt God's word, God's goodness. He makes it sound like this really isn't very fair of God to keep this one particular tree away from them. Notice there's no mention made of the hundreds or thousands of other trees planted that were all available to Adam and Eve in the garden. Satan instead twists their freedom around to make it sound as if God's command is really a negative thing, 
only meant to keep something very good from both of them. So instead of thinking about all God had provided, Satan wants her to focus on the one thing God said they could not have. And this is the exact same strategy he uses with you and I today. If God really cared about you, if God is really good, then why has he allowed this horrific trying circumstance in your life? Satan wants us to question God's kindness and his goodness. With, if he's so good, then why did you have, why did you have such a difficult upbringing? Or why are you in such a loveless marriage? Or why does the Bible disapprove of something you really seek after to have joy and happiness? Let's learn from Eve's mistake here. She tells Satan what God said and is in a dialogue with him. And we're no match for Satan and his tactics. He didn't, she didn't even have a sin nature at this point. And she's being taken in by his lies. How much more than are you and I unable to have a dialogue with the enemy of our soul? When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he only exchanged scripture with Satan. Eve should have focused on the good God that she walked with in the cool of the day and remembered his words to her. Instead, she entertained the doubts that Satan brought to her mind, and there is no end to false teachers out there under the guise of Christianity who preach error. They are Satan's mouthpieces, even if they don't have a clue that they are. Whatever sin you may be tempted to be involved in, there is a false teacher. There is a book that's been written that's going to tell you that it's okay to do what it is you want to do. They twist the word of God just like Satan did in the garden here with Eve, causing people then to pursue their own desires and ignore what God has said. <clears throat> it can be in the claims that sin is no longer sin. Rather, it's just an illness or it's just something you're born with, so you really can't help it. Or the thinking that I don't have to deal any longer with this hurtful person in my life who's wounded me deeply because I have boundaries set around me to protect me so I remain stable and healthy. And so I don't have to resolve. I don't have to really forgive. I just need to protect myself. Or God is okay if I get out of this marriage because his greatest desire for me is that I am happy. Uh, you have a problem with materialism. Who doesn't? And the temptation for more and to indulge. Well, you can <laughs> put on your TV and you will hear endless preachers um, validate why you should be self-indulgent. Validate while you're a child of the king, you deserve the very best. And on and on and on goes the lies and the deceptions of the enemy of our soul. Eve should have focused on the truth that she did know about God. But instead she tells the serpent God's one rule. And then she actually adds more to what God even said in the first place. She states that they were free to eat of the trees of the garden as if that were a small selection. And then she repeats the restriction by God and doesn't mention how wise or how good he is and how kind he's been to them. She actually adds words and claims God said, oh yeah, and he said we can't touch it either, which he never said. She's now thinking as if this restriction is really something harsh and, and she's making it even more restrictive. She does not defend God and his wisdom and his goodness. She completely ignores the fact that God had been so kind to her and Adam. She doesn't correct the serpent who is accusing God of holding out on her. So now she's starting to believe what Satan is saying. And in truth, her heart has started to turn against God, and she didn't take any offense to the serpent's attack on God's character. 
Satan knew victory was very close. And now he makes it seem like he actually knows more than God because he says, you surely will not die. The goodness of God had been attacked by Satan. Eve listened to Satan instead of defending God. And now Satan is actually calling God a liar. God is just deceiving you, Eve. He just wants to to take all of your freedom away. He doesn't want you to have full joy. Satan tempts her to believe that God really doesn't have that kind of authority over you. There will be no real consequences. And you certainly are not going to die if you eat of that fruit. So who is Eve going to believe at this point? She has a clear choice to be made. This is the same choice each one of us have as well. Who speaks the truth? Is the truth God and his word? Isn't his word too restrictive? Doesn't God try to take joy and pleasure out of life? That's what Satan wants us to believe. Certainly he doesn't really love us. He cannot be trusted when such horrible things have happened in your life. Freedom and love is all you need to be happy. And narrowness and restriction is what takes your freedom and happiness away. That's how Satan wants us to think. He tempts us to doubt the goodness of God. Uh, Real love wouldn't allow this kind of trial in your life that you're enduring. Satan is getting Eve to actually believe that the character of God is faulty because God wanted to keep something from them so they couldn't be all that they wanted to be. God is just afraid that you'll be like him. After the blatant lie of Satan to Eve that she would not die, Satan now has the gall to offer her what he himself had tried and failed to obtain. He said, you will be like God. Remember, that's what he said. I will be like God. You will have the same wisdom as God because you will know good and evil. He tries to convince Eve that actually God would be jealous of their knowledge or would be threatened by them knowing all of this knowledge of good and evil. Perhaps Eve thought that this would be a really good thing, even an honorable thing. Every false teaching and cult, every error under the umbrella of Christianity comes to believe some form of this lie that you'll be like God. Of course, God wants us as his followers to be like him in character and in godliness. But Satan tempted Eve to assume his power and his right to be worshipped in him alone. Satan presented to Eve the fact that she would be like God. She will have knowledge that right now only God can have. Here is a living illustration of Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Well, once sin enters a person's mind and draws in the will and the emotions, as uh, one commentator said, in reality, it was a horrible kind of knowledge, knowing what is good and not able to do it, knowing evil but unable to resist it. So sin entered the world. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then both of their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. It's a perfect illustration of the counterpart to First John uh, chapter 2, 15 and 16, to not love the world or the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So the same way Satan tempted Eve, he uses again and again with such great success. 
The tree appealed to Eve. It appealed to her bodily appetite. It was pleasant to look at. And so it appealed to her senses. And the fact that it was desirable to make her wise appealed to her mind and her spirit and to her pride to now have greater knowledge and insight. So sin had entered the heart and mind and the will of Eve. So she took the fruit and ate, and you know what? She didn't die. So she gave it to her husband, and he ate it. Eve felt obligated to share this with Adam as she led him to participate in her same sin. She took the fruit, and he wanted her husband to join her. She likely used the same arguments that Satan had used on her. She probably saw how good it tasted, and she didn't recognize any ill effects. We know from 1 Timothy 2.14, Adam was not deceived. So he ate this knowing full well, his defiance. He doesn't seem to need much coaxing from his wife. How sad that the one God created to be the helpmeet for Adam is the very one, the instrument to bring death and disaster to this once perfect existence. The guilt of Adam's is greater than Eve's. Eve was guilty to be sure, but she had been deceived and tricked. Adam chose to disobey deliberately. He was the representative of the entire human race, and we all would have done the exact same thing had we been there. So it's his actions that brought us to this place. The moment Adam ate the fruit, death and decay started to take control. The entire human race fell into evil, and it would require God himself to become a man to come and die in order to undo this horrible event and deed. Adam followed his wife and she led him into sin. He chose to put Eve above God at that moment when he ate what she offered him. She took the place of God in his life. She became an idol to him. And how easy that is for any of us to let that happen. For someone we love dearly, a spouse, a parent, a child, to take top place and become the idol of our life. Well, immediately, shame and guilt come into the world. The husband and wife become aware of the fact that they're naked for the first time. They felt embarrassed, they felt ashamed, and they understood in an instant that they were sinners and that they were suddenly separated from God. It's sad that today most people fail to have any sense of shame or guilt when they defy God or their own conscience, uh, but Adam and Eve had shame and guilt. And now their minds were capable of all kinds of selfish and evil thoughts and desires they'd never had before. They were instantly aware of the fact that they were guilty. <clears throat> Satan had lied to them that their eyes would be open to marvelous things. Their eyes were opened all right. And it was now that they experienced shame and guilt and want to hide from God. Quite the opposite came true from the lie Satan had given. They did not become like God, but in reality they became like Satan. The beauty of their purity and innocence was gone forever. And immediately they felt compelled to go find some big leaves and sew them together to cover up their nakedness. Did they really think putting a leaf on was going to cover up what they had done? People have been trying to cover up their sins ever since. In an instant, Adam and Eve were out of fellowship with God and with each other. And for the first time in their lives, they felt guilty because they were guilty. And then the next thing that came into the world is fear. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. 
So shortly after Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves, they heard God walking uh, in the garden, as was the custom. Perhaps this was a daily time they met for fellowship. Clearly, this is a pre-incarnate Christ. There are many appearances Jesus made in the Old Testament before coming to earth as a man. And here is one of them when this is how he came and spoke to these two people he created in his own image. But this time, when they heard the sound of the Lord approaching, they ran and hid themselves from him. And the Lord called to Adam, asking where he was. He certainly knew exactly where he was hiding. But the question was from the Lord to get Adam to consider what was going on and what he had done. Instead of God coming in as a person with fire and judgment right at that moment and striking them both dead, it is God coming with grace and with kindness and appealing to them and wanting to seek them. It has always been that way. It is always God seeking after sinners. Adam answers God by saying that he was afraid because he heard the voice and he knew he was naked, so that's why he hid. And Adam was no longer looking forward to their time together. That fellowship is broken. And now he's hiding. Isn't it sad that people do the exact same thing today? They run from God. They fear him as a judge. So they simply ignore him, don't think about him, or steer clear from truth that's presented about him. Most people... Uh, or people have always run from God instead of running to him. How many people feel so very uncomfortable, and I've seen this time and time and time again, uh, at, a, let's say, a funeral, where they're hearing the word of God being presented, and they can't wait to get out of there. I've seen it on their faces. They refuse to think about their own deaths and the truth that is being spoken to them. Uh, because they don't want to repent of their sins. Adam and Eve became aware of their guilt, and it caused them to have fear. And what did they do with their fear? Well, God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And she said, well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So once Adam spoke of his own nakedness and he was exposed then as a fallen sinner and God asked him the question about who told you you were naked in order to prompt Adam to see what he had done and how he had sinned. One has to acknowledge the fact that they're a sinner. You have to admit that you're a rebel. (laughs) You do life your own way. You live how you want to live. You cannot come to Jesus and have a relationship with him until you repent of your sin. Adam, instead of falling on his knees over his guilt and sin, he actually blames God for giving him Eve. And then he blames Eve as well. And this is the beginning of the very first and forever well-known comment, this is not my fault. I mean, we don't have to teach our kids to say, it's not my fault, you know. We just do this intuitively. Mankind has been saying this since the fall, and every excuse in the book is given to justify one's actions. We can blame our parents, we can blame a spouse, we can blame a children, we can blame a boss, we can blame teachers, we can blame bad luck, whatever it is, it's not our fault. Adam blames God, indicating he would never have done this had it not been for the mistake God obviously made by giving him Eve to be his wife. And then Eve turns around and does the same thing, doesn't take responsibility for her sinful actions, but blames the serpent. So we're all guilty of this same uh, sinful response as we make excuses for our own sins. We blame others. 
I get this angry. I get this uh, impatient. I get this whatever it is because of them. It's the person. That's why I'm like this. And we shift the blame. We're not accountable. We, we try to evade rather being accountable and responsible for our own actions. Jesus said, what's in your heart? That's what comes out because that's what's inside of you. Romans 3, 9, 19 tells us one day all the mouths were going to shut their mouths. All will be silenced. Every mouth will be closed that all the world may become accountable to God. One day everyone will stand before God and nobody's going to be able to say, well, it's not fair and I didn't know and it's so-and-so's fault. That's why I never trusted you. And this is why we have the gospel message. We are all in this fallen condition as sinners and we all make excuses for our sins and we all try to avoid being accountable for our sins. But Jesus came, God in flesh, to be the perfect holy sacrifice and pay the debt for our sins. Only he makes it a way to be right with the holy God. And our faith must be in Jesus Christ alone to be forgiven by God and adopted into his family. Well, that brings us to the curses of God. Uh, The first one is the serpent. Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So the serpent becomes the enemy of, of man. He is cursed above all the other animals and humiliated by God. He's to crawl on his belly and eat dust. There's there's a constant enmity uh, against mankind. He will injure the seed of the woman, but will receive a mortal injury from the woman's seed. So the serpent is cursed more than all the cattle and the beasts of the field. And now we see that the effect of the fall impacts the entire animal kingdom as well. All the earth is groaning, according to Romans 8.20. They had once lived in perfect harmony and peace with each other, but under the curse, everything changed. The serpent will suffer uh, the most because he allowed Satan to use his body to deceive Eve. The serpent exalted himself above man, so his punishment is humiliation all of his days. So now the serpent is a lowly reptile that slithers on the ground and eats dust which speaks of humiliation, and most of us scream when we see one. So this animal that once exalted itself is now in a state of perpetual humiliation. And every time we see a snake, which we should be reminded of the seriousness of sin. So the serpent had been used uh, by, as a tool by Satan. And now we see the second part of the curse, uh, that Satan is sentenced to defeat by the seed of the woman. Apparently, Satan thought... He had won the allegiance of Adam and Eve and all of their future children. They were his. He thought they would follow him. The seed of the devil and the seed of the woman refer to the followers of Satan and the godly seed that would come through Eve. Cain would end up being the first seed of Satan. We'll see that next week. And God's children are to live differently than the devil's children. They are to obey the word of God. They are to not practice sin. They are to love people. It becomes clear that Satan's offspring and God's children have this ongoing conflict. And that's why we have all of the horrors going on in the world today and persecution. But one specific seed of the woman is going to actually defeat the devil. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And here we have the first mention of the gospel of a savior of the Messiah to come. 
This is a prophecy about the Messiah. And at the cross, Jesus is the one who delivered the death blow to Satan when he crushed the serpent's head. In that process, Jesus had to die, but the death of Jesus was a bruise on the heel, as it were, in the sense that it wasn't final or fatal. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, Satan got Adam and Eve to sin, but he failed to grasp that Jesus would die and take the place of sinners as he experienced God's full wrath on behalf of sinners. Divine forgiveness because of the cross renders Satan and his plan for all to go to hell as powerless. And that is why we no longer need to fear death. The woman's curse, we're all very familiar with that. I'll greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and your desire will be for your husband. He'll rule over you. So this is a two-part curse. Uh, Increased pain in childbirth and the ongoing struggle with a husband. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. And had they not sinned, that would have just been a breeze. But once sin came into the world, giving birth is going to be a painful ordeal for all women, along with everything connected to reproduction, starting at age 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to menopause and everything in between. Everyone born would be a reminder of the entrance of sin into the world. There really are just no words for how excruciatingly painful giving birth can be. And we can back up the whole pregnancy to fatigue, nausea, vomiting, crazy hormones, altering personality, swollen feet, shooting pains, high blood pressure, gestational diabetes, and on and on it goes. But then at the actual birth, who could ever imagine it could hurt so bad? (laughs) Forever a reminder of Eve's part in the fall. But this desire for your husband, Eve took the lead away from Adam and she chose to lead the family and he followed her. Therefore, the curse means that she will resist being under her husband's authority. Uh, Quoting a a great uh, explanation from one author, they said, the woman has the same sort of desire for her husband that sin has for Cain. Remember in the passage, sin has a desire to master you, uh, to take over you. Cain, we'll see that next week. And it's a desire to possess or control you. This desire, it's the same word used here, uh, disputes the headship of the husband. Sin has corrupted both the willing submission of a wife and the loving headship of a husband. The woman's desire is to control her husband, to usurp his divinely appointed headship, and he must master her if he can. So the rule of love founded in paradise is replaced by struggle, tyranny, and domination. End of quote. Only as a believer who submits to the word of God is there a possible solution to this in marriage. When the spirit of God indwells believers, then wives will be able to submit to the Lord because they're doing it as unto the Lord. And husbands will love their wives as Christ loves the church and will sacrifice for their wives. Thus we have the ongoing battle and struggle with sin in the home. And then Adam is cursed and the ground is cursed. I'm not going to read that all because of the passage. You're familiar with it. Now it's going to be hard to have food and you're going to return to dust the way you began. So after pronouncing uh, judgment on the serpent and Eve, God turns to Adam, the last to sin. He said, you listened to your wife as instead of me, you ate what was forbidden. And Adam's sin was pure rebellion. And all sin is really pure rebellion. It's all, as I said, doing whatever it is we want to do disobeying what God in his word says, rebelling against him having authority over us. 
Because Adam's sin was involved in eating, from now on, eating is going to be a real challenge. You're going to have to grow food. It's going to be a struggle from the get-go. The ground's going to be full of thorns and weeds, and it's going to be with great difficulty that you're going to be able to produce crops to sustain your life to eat. You're going to work from sunup to sundown, exhausted, and then you're going to die, and you're going to return to dust. Clearly, sin makes life hard. Life is filled with sorrow and pain and trouble. Like Job said, from, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upwards. And our culture, we live in a culture that its whole aim and goal is to avoid pain, avoid difficulty. People think that life should go smooth and all should be well. People get angry, they get frustrated, and often at God when there are challenges and when suffering comes into their world and shakes them. As believers, we know that trials are to be greeted as our friends because they build character into our lives, and they always have a purpose. Um, I recently read a message that was by Elizabeth Elliot uh, that someone put into a book form recently, and it's called Suffering is Never for Nothing. And, of course, Elizabeth Elliot suffered many different ways, husband spirit to death and living with the Indians then who killed him and on and on goes her life. But she brings out a lot of great truths. But we know as believers in Christ, whatever the trial he allows into our life, it has a purpose. It causes us to depend on him. It drives us to him. I mean, the growth that we have in our life is always in the hardest of times. Well, decay and death are everywhere now because of sin. So God cursed the man and his entire environment, forcing him to see the seriousness of his sin and the helplessness of his situation. Clearly, Satan's promises had all been lies. All the earth is subject to the law of decay and death, and that is the experience of everything, uh, living and non-living. They wear out, they grow old, they decay, they pass into dust. A once perfect creation now tainted by sin. But there is still hope for full liberation one day for both Adam and the environment. Romans 8, 19 through 22 gives us the future hope that creation will experience. Condemnation by God came to all when Adam sinned, but redemption is for all who believe in Jesus, the God-man, the second Adam. All creation groans, but there is hope as we wait the final redemption. And if you get a chance just to read 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 58, that is all about our hope and the sting of death being gone. So ladies, we do have hope. The doom and gloom uh, of the fall has been altered by the one who bruised and crushed Satan that day. Paul, as I said in 1 Corinthians 15, reminds us that this perishable will one day put on imperishable. Because death has lost its sting. And he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. So the most important issue is, do you have a relationship with this Jesus Christ? Have you submitted your will to him? Do you obey his word? Is he the reason that you do life? Do you talk to him? Do you know him intimately? You can only know him intimately through knowing his word. How blessed we are to be set free from the curse of sin and the penalty because the second Adam came to set us free from the tyranny of sin and death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that you've included in your word. Lord, it just really gives us understanding to understand how we got here 
and why our world is like it is. Father, I thank you that you didn't strike them dead that instant when they blew it and sinned. I thank you that you are a God who pursues sinners like us. And Lord, if there's someone here who hasn't surrendered her life to you, I pray today will be that day that they turn from the sins they're aware of and put their confidence and trust in you alone to be forgiven. And then we have hope. Then we have hope. This is not all there is. We have a bright future. And I just thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that way back here in Genesis 3 is the hope of the gospel message introduced to us. I just thank you for how powerful your word is, Lord. I pray that we would not fall prey to Satan's trickery and lies in our own lives. Lord, when we have those thoughts that think terrible things about you or other people, Lord, help us to recognize the enemy of our soul and the tactics that he uses to get us to think wrong so that we will behave wrong and dishonor you. In Jesus' name, amen.